Welcome to Travels in a Mathematical World, a podcast from the Institute of Mathematics and its applications, the IMA. My name is Peter Ollett. This is episode 57. 57 is the so-called Grotendieck Prime. The story goes that a brilliant mathematician, Alexander Grotendieck, was asked to name a prime number and gave 57, which is, of course, not prime. Uh, The story is used to illustrate how some mathematicians are so used to thinking in the abstract that they struggle with concrete examples. Long-time listeners may recall I had a similar problem with the number 9, although I suspect for somewhat more mundane reasons. Okay, I recently gave a talk at Shape of the Cosmos and wrote an associated article in I-Squared magazine uh, in which I told the story of the development of different models of the cosmos. Our story culminated in 1687 with Sir Isaac Newton explaining the apparent motion of planets in the sky using an inverse square law called gravity to derive Kepler's laws, which were based on a geometric treatment of astronomical observations. If you've watched the talk or read the article, you might remember that a philosophical problem with Newton's model for the cosmos was that it required so-called instantaneous action at a distance, in that gravity acts across empty space between every pair of bodies in the universe. While Newton's theories predicted or explained astronomical discoveries in the years after it was formed, including calculations based on discrepancy in the motion of Uranus, which were used to predict successfully the existence of Neptune. However, long after Newton's death, using more accurate instruments, observations were made of a discrepancy from Newton's model in the orbit of Mercury. The point in a planet's orbit at which it is closest to the Sun is not the same every time the planet completes an orbit, but is observed to shift. This shift is called precession. Of course, under Newton, the orbit of a planet is not just affected by the Sun, but also by every other object in the universe. So could the other planets be responsible? Uh, The answer is partially. In the orbit of Mercury, the observed precession was not entirely accounted for by Newton's model. The discrepancy from the theory in the observations taken from Earth was the huge 43 arc seconds per century. You probably know one degree is one three hundred and sixtieth of a circle, a minute of arc is one sixtieth of one degree, and a second of arc is one sixtieth of a minute of arc. So 43 seconds of arc per century is small and was difficult to observe. But if Newton's mechanics were to entirely predict celestial motion, this discrepancy needed to be explained. In 1905, Albert Einstein had published a paper on special relativity, which unified parts of classical mechanics and Maxwell's electrodynamics, uh, but this did not include gravity. In 1916, Einstein published his General Theory of Relativity, uh, which brought gravity into the model. In the interim period, Einstein is said to have realised that a person falling freely in a gravitational field would be unable to feel their own weight. Using ideas going back to at least Galileo, Einstein formulated his equivalence principle, which equates gravitational fields with accelerated frames of reference, relating gravitational mass and inertial mass. Under this equivalence, you can conduct an experiment in an accelerated frame of reference with equivalent results as though you were in a gravitational field. This means that any phenomenon that is experienced in a gravitational field should also be experienced in an accelerating frame of reference. Einstein's relativity isn't the only theory based on the equivalence principle, but it is a well-used one. Einstein theorised that objects with mass have an effect on the space around them. Space-time is a mathematical model that combines space and time into a single continuum. Although a consequence of special relativity, uh, space-time as a concept does not come from Einstein, uh, with space and time treated as one mathematically hundreds of years earlier. 
In classical models, space could be treated separately from time, as time is a universal constant. Under Einstein's relativity, time varies. In Einstein's model, the heavenly bodies don't act on one another through empty space, but instead massive objects cause space-time to become curved, and the motion of planets are the motions of straight lines in curved space. Mathematically, with Einstein's assumptions about space-time, planets are shown to move elliptically around the Sun. General relativity showed a discrepancy in the precession of the orbit of Mercury, and the amount of this discrepancy matched closely that observed, accounting for the remaining 43 seconds of arc. This provided an indication that Newton's theory was only an approximation to Einstein's. Einstein's model for gravity avoids action at a distance. If the Sun were to instantly disappear, the planets would not stop orbiting immediately, but rather a ripple in space-time, a so-called gravitational wave, would propagate, and it would reach the planets in the order of their distance from the Sun. Gravitational waves are expected to be produced when massive objects interact, but are very small even for very massive objects. Gravitational waves are believed to have been observed indirectly through observations of binary pulsars, but current work is taking place building and operating equipment to attempt to observe the waves directly. Following the publication of Einstein's general relativity, as well as the precession of orbit of Mercury, several experimental tests were performed. One prediction from relativity was the apparent bending of light as it passes near a massive body. During the solar eclipse of 1919, an experiment was conducted, led by Eddington. Usually, stars that appear very close to the Sun cannot be observed due to the brightness of the Sun. During an eclipse, observations can be made of stars that appear very close to the Sun in the sky. By comparing the pattern of stars recorded with that when the Sun is not in between the Earth and those stars, astronomers showed that starlight that passes close to the Sun is bent, making stars appear in a different position in the sky. Under general relativity, the light is moving in a straight line through curved space, so the curvature caused by the mass of the Sun means the light appears to bend. The amount of distortion observed during the 1919 eclipse matched Einstein's predictions. A related phenomenon is the displacement of distant light by massive objects causing a double image, an effect called gravitational lensing. This phenomenon has been observed in measurements of quasars. Following the 1919 expedition, Einstein became a celebrity. The Times newspaper ran the headline on the 7th of November 1919, Revolution in Science, New Theory of the Universe, Newtonian Ideas Overthrown, which gives you some idea of the level of interest. There's a lot more to be said about Einstein's theories and the developments that followed, and a lot more verification experiments, but we will end our story there. Einstein's theory of relativity explained what Newton had explained and more, and it did not rely on instantaneous action at a distance. Newton's mechanics are still used for most calculations involving gravity, as it agrees with Einstein's theory in most cases and is much simpler to work with. Einstein's general relativity is a highly successful model for gravity, but there are some indications that it is incomplete, and this is a current area of research for physicists and mathematical physicists. Right, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. You can find show notes, uh, a link to the video of the talk, uh, more about the podcast, uh, etc. at www.travelsinamathematicalworld.co.uk
You can find out more about what I do uh, on Twitter as Peter Rollett or on the web at peterrollett.net. Rollett is spelled R-O-W-L-E-T-T. Thank you for listening.